Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. In the country of India, one of the problems that confronts farmers are monkeys who like to come into their fields and steal and eat their crops. So they have to think of ways to keep the monkeys away. And they've tried all sorts of things, like dressing up in bear costumes to scare them, or using light and sound technology to deter them. But one of the most effective ways they found was actually to trap the monkey and then release it back into the forest where it belongs. So to trap a monkey, they would take a coconut and they would cut a hole in the shell large enough for the monkey to stick its arm in. And then inside, they would place a banana and they attach it to the side of a tree. And then the monkey would come, it would stick its arm in and grab that banana, but it couldn't retract its arm as long as it was holding on to the banana. So if the monkey would just let go of its prize, it could be free. But the monkeys are reluctant to let go of their newfound prize, and so they are caught. We're in this series talking about God's abundance, and we all want God to bless us, and God wants to bless us. But sometimes I wonder if we're like those monkeys and we allow greed to take over. So what does that look like for us? And what does God have to say about that? That's where we're headed today. So would you pray with me and then we'll dive into the word. God, we love you and we thank you that we can come today and gather as a family and come before your word. And God, we just ask and invite you to come and meet with us in these moments. So would you take a moment and just pray for yourself, wherever this week has taken you, would you ask God to speak to you and meet you where you are? And then would you take a moment and pray for me, that these would be God's words and not mine, that they would be helpful to you. God, I just ask that you would be the one who speaks today, that you would speak to each and every one of us. We've come to meet with you. Would you come meet with us and encounter us in such a way that when we leave here, we would love you more and know you better than right now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can open it up, turn it on. We are in Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. And up to this point, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people, and then a man comes and he interrupts Jesus with a question, and that's where we pick up this conversation. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's important for us here to understand how peculiar this request is. In the Jewish tradition, the inheritance was not passed down equally. So for one, it would only be passed to sons, and then the eldest son would get a double portion. So if you had two sons, the oldest would get two-thirds, and the youngest would get one-third. If you have three sons, the oldest would get half, and the younger two would get a quarter each. And so this man's request goes against Jewish teaching. And if you're like me, you read this, you go, well, that doesn't sound very fair, it doesn't sound very equitable. But you notice that he's not coming to God and asking for justice. 
Notice that he comes to Jesus and calls him teacher and not Lord. And he doesn't ask Jesus for guidance or instruction. Rather, he tells Jesus to get him a greater inheritance. What he wants is a material benefit, and how he gets that is through Jesus' authority. So this is the backdrop that we have to what Jesus is about to say. So how does Jesus respond? Let's look in verse 14. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possession. Anytime we see God answering something in the Bible, we have to ask what question is he answering? Because if we ask the wrong question, we're going to get the wrong answer, and the Bible's not going to make much sense to us. So here in this passage, what question is Jesus answering? And we'll notice that he's not answering a question about Jewish law or fairness or justice, but rather he's answering a question of the heart and specifically about greed. See, Jesus knows that this man is not asking about Jewish law or fairness, but he merely wants a material benefit. And Jesus sees straight through that facade and right to the man's heart. So he's going to intentionally not respond to the question of the material good, and instead he's going to address the heart. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus tells a parable, a story, to explain what he just said. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because that's the American dream, right? I mean, we have a guy here, a farmer, who, because of his hard work, has yielded abundant results, more than he needs and more than he's ready for. So what does he do? He goes and he builds bigger. I mean, isn't that what all of us do? A bigger house, a fancier car, a better wardrobe, a bigger 401k. This is the life that's peddled before us in school and at work and in ads and in TV shows and entertainment and large screens. Everywhere you turn in this country, this is the good life. In 1998, Reader's Digest magazine, if you're under the age of 25, ask your parents what that is. Uh, They told the story of a couple that had reached early retirement. This is what they wrote. They took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Is that not a modernized version of Jesus' parable? Is that not the epitome of the American dream? So what does Jesus say about that? Let's look at the very next verse. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Remember, Jesus is not speaking about material material goods here, but about the heart. Jesus isn't against investing, but he does want us to think about why we invest, because our time on earth is short. 
Why does this rich farmer build? It says to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And for many of us, if we're honest, this is the same reason that we build. Some of us build and we're driven by greed. We want that which we don't have. Others are driven by fear. We're afraid that we don't have enough in retirement or enough to weather another financial crisis. For some of us, it's not even financial or material wealth that drives us, but it's something else talent or time or reputation or influence. But whatever it is that drives you, we all end up in the same place. We want the good life. And the 15th, or uh, sorry, so Jesus warns this farmer, getting ahead of myself. So Jesus warns this farmer, he says, of what value is an easy life or the good life? What value is everything that we build if we have no life? at all. And it sounds harsh, but this is the sober reality that confronts all of us. In the 15th and 16th century, there's a political philosopher named Niccolo Machiavelli, and he writes this book about gaining power, keeping power, and having and being the perfect leader. And this book is called The Prince. Some of you may have heard of it. And at the core of this book is the idea that we are to gain power and keep power and nothing else applies. There are no other rules. So in other words, the end, power, justifies the means. And throughout the book, Machiavelli points to one man, Cesare Borgia, as his ideal, perfect leader. Borgia has a fascinating history. If you're interested, you can look it up. But Borgia is Machiavelli's example of a perfect leader. He has amassed lots of lands and lots of power. And he's ushered in a period of prosperity. Now, he's done this by killing everybody who disagrees with him, but he's still ushered in a period of prosperity, and the people that he rules both love him and fear him. And so Machiavelli holds up Borgia and says, this is the perfect leader, except he has one flaw, one flaw that kept him from being completely perfect. Machiavelli describes it as an extraordinary run of bad luck and says that if Borgia somehow just avoided that run of bad luck, he would have been the perfect leader of the perfect empire. So what was his flaw? He died. And after he died, his territory was taken by others. Because nothing that we build, save, or invest can keep us from death. And when we die, we can't take anything that we build, save, or invest. The wealth that you have, the property you own, the time or the prestige that you have, none of that matters in death except for how fancy our caskets will be. In verse 21, Jesus warns us of the somber reality that all our building, saving, and investing can be in vain. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. We see here again, Jesus is not speaking against material good. You notice here, he's not speaking against building, saving, and investing. He does not say, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for the things, period, and the story. But rather, Jesus is speaking to the heart. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus warns us against the foolishness of, and, of greed, against a life lived in vain. 
But then as he always does, he directs us in a new direction toward being rich toward God. There's a dichotomy here, but it's not between storing up and being rich. But the word that Paul uses for rich is actually in noun form, and it denotes possession. And that word applies both to the storing up and to the being rich toward God. So the sentence reads, this is how it will be for whoever stores up riches for themselves, but not toward God. So the dichotomy is not between the actions of storing up and being rich, but between who the riches are for, ourselves or toward God. In other words, God is not saying in addition to storing up for yourself, also remember to be rich toward God. But rather he's saying the riches that you build and store and invest are the same riches that we are to use toward God. So the question is, what are you storing up, building, and investing? Those riches include but are not limited to our material wealth and our finances. But they also include talents and skill sets, our time, our influence, our popularity, our status, and so much more. Think about the things that you build, save, and invest toward, whether they're financial material or not. Those are your riches, and those are the riches that are to be used toward God. If you're like me at this point, you're asking yourself why to all of this. Why be rich toward God? I mean, doesn't God own everything already? So why does God need me to be rich toward him? Jesus calls on us to be rich toward God precisely because God already owns everything, including the very riches that we build up, store, and invest. And if God owns these riches, then it's only right that we would employ them for his purposes. That's not being rich toward God. That's not being generous toward God. But when we don't do that, we're actually claiming as our own what is rightfully God's. For example, consider an athlete who has incredible athletic ability, but who squanders opportunities due to a bad attitude or off-field issues or being lazy. You know what term is used to describe athletes like that? Waste of talent. Because we believe that their talent has a purpose, and that is not for them to goof off or go do whatever they please. Now, most of us haven't been blessed with that kind of athletic prowess, but each of us have been blessed with different talents and skills and riches. Consider, for example, your, a job. Is the purpose of your job so that you can have wealth to do as you please? Or do you commit yourself to excellence because you are working for God and not for your boss? Do you use your job as a platform to foster relationships with colleagues because God created and loves them? Last week, Pastor Joe showed us the example of King David in the Bible. He's the king of Israel, but rather than expressing any entitlement to his riches, his resources, or even his own life, he says that everything he has as an individual and everything they have as a nation comes from God 
and thus belongs to God. So David sets out to build this magnificent temple, and he says even the resources we're using to build this temple already belong to God. Nearly a decade ago, God began challenging me on this issue of generosity. So I started to ask myself, why be generous? What is at stake if I'm not generous? And what I realized is that when greed begins to creep in and I get selfish, I don't own my things, but they own me. When I'm greedy and selfish, I don't actually own my things. They own me. But by being generous, I step into this reality that God owns my things and my things no longer own me. But here's what I realized. There is no world where I'm in control, where I'm on the throne. Either God is or my stuff is. So being rich toward God isn't about the riches, but about God. See, God does not need our riches. He wants our hearts. And I think sometimes we get so focused on God's blessings and riches that we miss God amid all of it. So when we're rich toward God, our focus moves from the blessings and the riches to God. So it's not God that needs us to be rich toward him. It's us who need it. Because when we're rich toward God, rather than gaining blessings and riches, we gain God. And if we have God, then don't we have everything? So how can we be rich toward God? What does that look like? Well, we're naturally rich and generous toward people we love, right? We give freely and we give joyfully to people that we love. And we also love the things that our loved ones love, right? If, you're, if you say you love your spouse, but you hate everyone and everything that he or she loves, you probably don't actually love that person. So if we love God and then we are rich toward God, And then we love and are rich toward those that God loves, his people and his creation. This is why Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching about his kingdom. And he says, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked out for me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And Jesus goes on and he says the opposite for those who do not do this for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine. And he reminds us that what we do and don't do for the least of these, we do and don't do for God. There are people that we encounter in our lives every day that we don't think twice about because they don't have our wealth or they don't have our job or they don't have our status or our popularity. But how we treat them is how we treat Jesus. In Romans, we read that our act of worship 
is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That is what it means to be rich toward God. And how do we do that? Paul writes that God has given each of us different gifts. And we are to use those gifts to glorify God and edify each other in love. And we see this exemplified in Acts. In the early days of the church, it says that they had no needs because people would take their properties or their possessions and they would sell them and then use that money to meet the needs of others in the church. All we are and all we have are for the glory of God through the service to his people. Our generosity toward each other is an outpouring of our love for each other, which is an outpouring of our love for God, which is an outpouring of God's love for us. So what does this look like in real life? Let me introduce you to my friend Russ. Russ was one of the most respected senior staff members in the Congress. In the last 20 years, he's had his hand in almost every consequential piece of legislation. About 10 years ago, Russ announced he was leaving Capitol Hill and he was taking a job at the renowned and high-powered international law and public affairs firm. And all of us just assumed that he was finally leaving to make more money. But the why is what is so beautiful. Russ is the legal guardian to 22 young men. They have come from all different backgrounds. Some have lost their parents. Some have been abandoned. Some have behavioral issues. Others have had substance abuse issues. And Russ has done more than just raise them or give them a place to live. Once Russ actually sold his home and moved his residence so a young man could stay in his school district because that was the only stability he had in life. When Russ was working in the Senate, he actually slept on a mattress in his basement and he hung his suits on this metal beam that ran across the ceiling because every other space in that house was occupied by one of the kids. So when Russ decided to leave the Senate, it was because several of his kids were heading to college and he needed money to be able to cover their education expenses. This is somebody who builds and stores and invests and is rich toward God. So what are some practical steps we can begin to take toward this? Number one, we can be rich toward God by seeking his kingdom first. What would it look like for us to chase God's kingdom? Jesus finished writing, warning his disciples not to store up treasures for themselves, but instead to be rich toward God. And then listen to what he says in Luke 12, verses 22 to 31. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, 
and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus understands our human nature. He understands our needs and our desires and our worries. And so he says, when you seek his kingdom, he will take care of the rest. He will take care of us. So when you wake up in the morning and when you catch yourself being greedy, pray as the Lord taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you notice that it is in light of that that then we pray and give us this day our daily bread. Number two, we can be rich toward God by knowing and serving others. Our richness toward God is expressed through our richness toward each other. But if someone has a need, do you know it? If someone has a need, do you even know? We need to get to know the people around us, right? In your community, in your small group, your colleagues at work, the parents at your kid's soccer game, the person sitting next to you this morning. There are people in our congregation that have needs that others in our congregation can meet if only we knew each other. And if you have riches that you're ready to share, but you don't know where to share them, just ask. There are needs in this church and this community all around us. If you have riches ready to share, God is ready to use you. All you have to do is ask. And third, we can be rich toward God by letting go of what owns us. Earlier, we talked about how our things can own us instead of us owning our things. And Jesus continues this teaching about being rich toward God in verses 32 and 33. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. God promises us the kingdom, but you're still holding on to your riches? Like, how crazy are we? So we can identify those things that actually own us by asking two questions. Number one, what do I own or pursue that really owns me? And number two, why do I pursue that? Because how we answer that question will tell us where our heart is. Jesus ends this passage by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God does not bless us so that we can go live a prosperous life or do whatever we want. God blesses us so that we can in turn bless those around us. And as we do that, others see Christ and come to know him as well. When I was in high school, 11th grade, my teacher asked us once, why are you working so hard in this class? And we said, well, because we want good grades. I said, why do you want good grades? Because we want to to go to good college. Why do you want to go to good college? Because we want a good job. Why do you want a good job? Because we want to make money. Why do you want to make money? Because we want to enjoy life. He then proceeded to introduce us to litany of different careers that we were interested in and confront us with the reality of those careers. For doctors, eight years of post-secondary education followed by three to five years of residency and fellowship, the worst shifts, and often having to sleep overnight in the hospital. For attorneys, seven years of post-secondary education followed by 80-hour work weeks at most firms. 
and on and on. And after each one, he would stop and say, so when are you going to enjoy your life? So thinking I was smart, I raised my hand and I said, in retirement. And he looked at me and said, and what's retirement preparation for? And I thought about it and I said, death. And he goes, well, there you have it. You're studying hard in British literature so you can prepare to die well. (laughs) Here's the truth. The American dream is not the kingdom of God. The American dream ends the same way for every single person who pursues it in death. The kingdom of God never ends and it results in the same way for every single person who pursues it. Abundant and eternal life. Jim Elliott put this so perfectly, articulated this truth in in Luke 12 so beautifully. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Honestly, who can live this way, right? Most of us are fools, but the guy who said this, Jim Elliott, he put his money where his mouth was. Jim Elliott joined four others as missionaries to an unreached people group in Ecuador, South America. And shortly after they arrived and made contact with this group of people, they were all killed by warriors from that group. Jim Elliott was 28 years old when he was killed. He first gave up his life in America, and then he gave up life altogether. But he gained that which he could never lose, the kingdom of God. So the question today is, why are you working so hard today? What riches are you building? We can be rich toward God by taking those riches and investing them in one another for each other's benefit and for God's glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we confess that so often we're like that monkey. We let our greed set in. God, and we build and we store for ourselves and for our futures. And we confess and we just ask God that you would stir in our hearts and give us a new direction. That you would lead us to love you more deeply and to be rich toward you. That you would lead us to be generous to one another. That we would exemplify your love for us that the world would see and they would see you too. And Scott, would you send us from this place today with renewed hearts that love you and that are rich toward you for the edification of the body and for your eternal glory. In Jesus' name, amen.